0: If you have a Bible and you want to turn to Isaiah chapter uh, 6, we invite you to do so. Excuse me, chapter 9. I'm going to start with verse 6. But doesn't having a white Christmas kind of put everything in order? I mean, isn't that really um, the way it should be? You know, you, you look at the, the Norman Rockwell paintings, you, know, you look at the pictures we have here uh, on the screen of Bing and the, and the gang singing their uh, at a white christmas the charlie brown folks there's something about this idea of uh of peace and contentment there's something about a white christmas that speaks uh serenity life is in order and i and i think actually our desire for something like a white christmas uh, really points to a deeper longing in our lives uh because as jeff mentioned in his call to worship this morning you know snow on the ground doesn't address job loss <laughs> If we have a white Christmas, it's not going to uh, help you as you wrestle with your addictions. Uh, Having a white Christmas doesn't restore broken relationships or ultimately bring spiritual healing into our lives where there's a void. And the question we really want to wrestle with this morning is what does peace look like? Is there such a thing that can be attained in your life and in my life as we live in a broken world? All I want for Christmas is a white Christmas really speaks to the deeper longing of our hearts to know that there is actually order in the universe, that there is actually uh, someone in control and there is purpose and there uh, is meaning. You know, perhaps in, in your mind like mine, this is the, the picture of a white Christmas, but I think or, or, or of a perfect Christmas, but I think there's something deeper going on. And the, and the question I want to ask this morning, because I guess the question the Scripture addresses is, does God care about that longing in your heart? Does God care about the brokenness that you feel, the anxiety you feel, the anxiousness you feel? Uh, You know, you understand perhaps that Jesus has come uh, and that he is the Messiah and that uh, you can put your faith in him for salvation. Uh, But what what about your spirit? What about your heart? How does God speak his truth into your life? Does he care? about these deeper issues, these deeper longings. And I want to go to Isaiah chapter 9 and look at two verses this morning, because I believe that God has spoken. I believe he's spoken very clearly in his word. I believe he's spoken very clearly in the promises of scripture. And we'll see this morning that it isn't just about having snow on the ground, about having a white Christmas, but it's more about God's Messiah and who's been provided for us. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, hear the word of God. The prophet writes for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this it's a reading of god's holy and perfect word to him be glory forever will you pray with me father i uh, dare say that every person in this room really would love to have the perfect christmas But that may mean a lot of different things to each one of us for some of us that It may be just as simple as having the family gathered around the tree. For others of us, it may be longing for just one day without that temptation that just will not let us go. Father, for some of us, it may be a relationship restored. Talking to someone we haven't spoken to for years. Father, we come here on Sundays and we try to kind of dress nice and look like our lives are all together. When people ask us how we're doing, we always say fine. And yet, Lord, you know what's uh, in the depths of our hearts. You know those things that cause us to toss and turn in the middle of the night. You know the anxious moments. You know the fear, the disappointment. So, Father, I pray this morning for those of us who... uh, are struggling to, to truly understand what it means to have order and peace in our world. Father, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, what I have to say, it just doesn't matter. Man's words are empty and shallow and void of any eternal weight. It is only your word that speaks truth. And so, Father, we rest upon that this morning. We trust in that message this morning. And I ask that I wouldn't get in the way of it. Forgive my sin, Father. Don't let me keep anyone in this room from hearing what you want to say to each one of us today. Lord Jesus, come and be our teacher, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, probably the vast majority of you have heard those verses read, which I just read uh, a moment ago. Those are very familiar uh, scripture words that are spoken this time of year pretty much in, in any church you wander into between now and Christmas Eve, you've got probably better than a 50-50 chance of hearing that passage read at some point during uh, the morning. But let me give you just a very brief background of Isaiah's world and what he was facing and how God was speaking into that particular situation and how that uh, will translate into uh, into our conversation this morning. Isaiah was a guy that, that lived and ministered and worked in and around Jerusalem between about 740 B.C. and about Seven hundred BC, so about seven hundred years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Isaiah uh, was uh, was a prophet during the time of the Assyrian Empire, which would have been to the north and the east of the nation of Israel. Uh, he lived in a time when uh, when Egypt. Was wanting to throw off the Assyrian rulers, and so directly to the south of the nation of Israel, there there was a uh, there was a land, there was a, a nation that was uh, militaristic uh, and was seeking uh, their own freedom and and to be out from under the oppression of the Assyrians. And there was little tiny Israel caught right in the middle, uh, and the kings of Israel were at a loss of what to do. And Isaiah kept saying, "We need to trust God. We look like we're a small." Pawn in this political game in this military game, but God is going to do something miraculous in our day if we will but trust him but the but the facts were for anybody who lived in the day of Isaiah it was a day of national crisis it was a day when their literally their nation could vanish in an instant because of the military might that was all around them but they didn't just have a national crisis on their hands they also had a crisis of morality on their hands I, I'm not going to put these passages. On the screen, but I'm going to read for you just a couple of verses out of chapter 1 of Isaiah. In verses 2 through 4, Isaiah writes this. He's speaking on behalf of God, and he says, the ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children of who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. The nation of Israel didn't just have a national crisis. They had a crisis of character. They had a crisis of morality. They were rebelling against God. They were seeking to align themselves with the Assyrian Empire as a way out of their problems. And this had left them in a completely broken condition. They were both broken from it from a national viewpoint. They were, a, they were in a kind of a no-win situation. And they were also broken morally. They had left their God whom they were called to follow and love. And the question in Isaiah's day was what's God going to do about it? Will God come and restore? Will God be gracious? Will God come and meet us at our point of need? And that's, I think, the same question that we have today. I, I think maybe circumstances might be a little bit different. You know, 2700 years later, but some of those same questions still burn in our lives. Where's the order in our world? Is God going to intercede? Is God going to do something in my life? Not just on the global picture, not just on the, on the national level, but God, I have problems. I have issues in my own life right here in my own family. Will you intercede? Does Christ's advent, does the birth of Jesus really have any practical application for my life whatsoever? Those are the questions that were being asked in Isaiah's day. And, and Isaiah's message straight from God was, I will forgive, I will rescue. If you look, again, it, uh, again, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but in, in chapter 1 and verse 18, just below God talking about all of the sin that the nation of Israel has committed, but God says this to his people, Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they be red as crimson, they shall become wool. Isaiah's message is God will heal, God will restore. But we must put our trust and our faith in his Messiah. Did you notice the words in verse 6, how Isaiah starts off uh, the message in this passage? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This is a highly personal promise if you're asking the question this morning why should I believe why should I trust God it's because he is offering something personally to you and to me and to people like us who are trapped in sometimes in very difficult situations and circumstances God comes to speak his truth into our lives and he calls us to trust in him through his messiah Now, you might say, well, that's an offer that's a little bit too good to be true. You know, is it really that simple that Christ has come to redeem not only my my life for salvation, but also to to redeem my heart, to redeem the emotions of my life? That that seems a bit too good to be true. Uh, I I don't know if you've seen the the new movie, just came out Friday, Invictus. It's about uh, the 1995 South African uh, Rugby World Cup Championship and Nelson Mandela and his interaction with the captain of that team. But if you go to Invictus' website, you can uh, you can give your email address, and you can click on it, and you get entered into sweepstakes. And the winner of the sweepstakes, every day they give a little something away. They give away a couple of movie passes, or they give away an Invictus t-shirt. But somebody's going to win a trip to South Africa. So every day for the last five or six days as I've been to this website, I've been enrolling in winning you know this prize. Now, do I think I'm going to go to South Africa and win the prize? There's absolutely no way in the world that's going to happen. <laughs> I'll be right here with you guys when whoever wins that trip is over there having a great time, and that's kind of how we approach life. Well, I, I want to hope, but it's almost a hope beyond hope because I know that really nothing's ever going to change. I know I'm not really going to be the one who who wins the prize. And you know they they have the even on the daily drawings. Every time you got to answer a question, you know, and you, you click on it, and it says you're right, but sorry, you weren't today's winner. You know that's just the way life goes, isn't it? And some of us feel like God has said, you know, he's clicked that button. He says, you're right, but you're not a winner today. I've got too many other things on my plate to deal with beside you. And we feel alone. Can we really trust in God? And I believe the answer to the question is yes, but I believe in practical terms, the answer is found in the way in which God chooses to identify his Messiah. You know, God was going to send his son into the world. He could have given him a lot of different names. He could have called him conquer. He could have called him Lord. A lot of different names you could have given them, but these four names in verse 6 speak to the character of God and speak to the answer to the question, can we have that perfect Christmas, so to speak? Can our world be put in order? Can there be true, true peace? So I want to very briefly look at these four defining words. Of God's Messiah this morning. Verse 6, the first one is wonderful counselor. Now, those two words are very interesting put together because the word wonderful means extraordinary, it means supernatural, it means something that's happened outside the bounds of normal life. You know, have you ever seen something and said, wow, that, that was a miracle? That was, am- that was unbelievable. You know, you ever. You ever Found yourself saying, "Now, sometimes we say things that are unbelievable, things that are very believable, but that tends to be a statement of awe." Well, in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when this word is used about fifty-four different times, it's always used in the context of God doing something miraculous. You can find this word most frequently used in the Book of Exodus when God is was bringing the plagues to the people of Egypt, when God was bringing the children of Israel out of captivity, when God met with Moses on Mount Sinai. When water came from the rock, when manna came from heaven, the word that was used to describe that was wonderful. It's extraordinary, it's amazing. This is something outside the realm of normal activity. And this word is connected to the word counselor. Counselor in scripture in this particular passage is used to God to used to describe God in his process of changing human hearts. Now, I've been to a counselor I go to a counselor occasionally. uh, And I have spent time with a counselor working through some of the issues of my life. And if you haven't been to counseling, you don't know how this works, but those of you that have been know, you walk and you sit down and you look at the counselor and you expect him or her to then fix you, right? And you come on, go ahead, give it to me. And they stare back at you and they don't say anything. And I get real uncomfortable in those kind of situations. I mean, it's okay if you guys just stare at me because I can keep talking. But when I'm sitting in a room with one person, they're just kind of looking at you. And then they kind of look at you over their glasses a little bit, and they don't say anything. You know, you start to say, you know, did I smell bad? Did I not take a shower? You know, What, what is there something in my teeth? What's going on? And then they finally say, why are you here? What would you like to accomplish? And you're like, I don't know. That's why I'm paying you. <laughs> you're supposed to understand all that. <laughs> and the word I didn't put with counselor when I first started was wonderful. <laughs> There's nothing unbelievable about it. <laughs> but eventually he began to help peel away some of the layers in my heart. Began to see the deeper issues in my soul. That's really the the goal of good counseling, as my friend Tom Holly says. If you if you like your counselor, it's not working. You know, there are, there ought to be some some rub there. But God is in the business. Of, he's the counselor. He wants to peel away all of the layers, and he's going to do that through his Messiah in a miraculous way, in a way that surprises. The messiah will bring his divine power to bear on healing the pain and the scars In our lives and our hearts He is the wonderful counselor that is part of his character But the other the second part of his character is that he is mighty god still uh, in verse 6 the next descriptive term Uh, The word mighty there is used for one who holds rank uh, a person of influence a power perhaps a a general uh, or maybe a prince or, or a champion of some kind. If you go to the book of Hebrews uh, and you go to chapter 12 in the New Testament, it says, uh, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That word author there actually can be, can, be, uh, can be taken out. It's a fine word. It means the primary author, but can also, the word that can be used there is champion, that he's the champion of our faith. He's the Hercules of our faith. He's the, he's the one who's overcome all obstacles and, and won the match so to speak. And this God is one who, who is one of power. He's one who is one uh, of, of the kingdom. He's the prince. He's the champion. But he's also God, mighty God. This one is not a representative. He's not an emissary sent from God, but he is the Lord God himself. When God deals with his people, he doesn't send an angel to do that. You know, you hear about guardian angels, and you know if they're guardian angels, I, th- I think scripture speaks a little bit to that. I think there's, there's some truth to that. But quite frankly, I'm not all that interested in having a guardian angel. I would much rather have the Lord himself interested in the issues of my life. And that's exactly what Isaiah says this Messiah is going to be. He's going to be the mighty God, the one who's strong enough, impactful enough to make a difference. Uh, We're on our third child going uh, away to college next year, third and last. And uh, we're kind of excited about that part. And uh, Jordan's applied to several different schools, and one of the schools he's applied to is the University of Alabama. Uh, And. um, Uh, as we've gone through the application process, I try to help my kids figure out how to apply for scholarships. And Jordan's got some really good grades and some really good test scores. So I'm on the Alabama website, and I'm looking for somebody who's a contact person that can help me with this. And the only person I can find on the Alabama website that I could actually get to in an email was their dean of students, a guy named Tim Hipson. And I found Tim Hipson's name last August, and Tim and I become wonderful friends. (laughs) And I emailed Tim every once in a while. So I'm like, okay, Tim, here's what we're doing. Can you put me in touch with somebody? I'm like, you don't know me from Adam, but I'm just trying to, you know, kind of help my kid. And he emails back and says, sure, I'll be happy to help you. By the way, I saw your name there. You're the pastor of a church. And and I used to work in a college ministry before I became Dean of Students. I'm like, oh, we got a little connection here. Really? What college ministry? We end up we know people we, we know some of the same people. And Tim's like, you know, I'll put you in touch. You know, I'm not gonna get you, you know, kind of the twenty-three year old kid right out of college in the financial aid office. I'll get you the chairman of the financial aid office will give you a call. Wow went right to the top. Pretty cool. I got somebody who could get something done. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. You need somebody who can really speak peace into your life? Come to the mighty God, the Messiah, who will save, who will redeem. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. But the third descriptive term for the Messiah who can truly bring peace to us is everlasting father. Everlasting simply means a continuous presence there is no past or present or future with the Messiah. For him, everything is now. He is not limited by time. He's not limited by geography. He's not limited by the fact that he's over here and you're over there and he can't quite get you yet. This Messiah is everywhere all of the time. And he is the one who continually and in an ongoing way. From beginning to end as we would define that in human terms and even outside of those parameters and that scope he is the one Who cares for his people because the word that is attached everlasting is the word father And that is a precious word It can be a destructive word Some of us have had difficult relationships our fathers for some of us. We hear the word father and we recoil, but we recoil in a sense because even though we've had a negative experience somewhere deep in our heart, we know what it should be. We know what it ought to have looked like. And the longing of our heart is for a father who is a person of a character of love, person of protection, one who offers provision and nurtures us. And God says, my Messiah fits that bill. There's nothing outside of his knowledge. There's nowhere you can go to be away from his proximity and his compassion and his love. No, no boundaries. I think this is the hardest truth in scripture for people to get their minds around because human fathers fail. I mean, let's face it. Even those of us who work hard at trying to be great dads blow it sometimes. Uh, A lot of you remember uh, our friends, uh, the Valentines. And Dave Valentine, they, they've uh, moved back to, the, down to Florida, but, but Dave Valentine was telling me a story one time about how dads can't always be everywhere all the time, taking care of all of their kids. And I, I think it was, it was Scotty who was involved in this. And Scotty, if you ever listen to this and you're, I'm wrong, it was one of your brothers, let me know. But um, uh, David gets a call. He's out of town on a business trip. And it's a, a buddy of his, and he says, hey, hey, Dave, what's going on? He says, I'm, I'm out of town." He goes, well, listen, I just want to compliment you because I'm driving down Manchester Road. And I just uh, passed Wes driving the car. And he had a seatbelt on. He had two hands on the steering wheel. And he was driving, you know, about three miles an hour below the speed limit. And, uh, and Dave said, great, thank you very much. You know, just appreciate that. You know, they talked for a minute and he hung up. And, and Dave then turned around and called Scotty, who at the time happened to be about 15 years old. Last I saw, 15-year-olds aren't supposed to be driving cars down Manchester Road, even if they have their seatbelt on and going 33 miles an hour. They said, you know, you can't be everywhere all the time. You can't watch your kids. You can't, you can't cover for them every time they're going to make a bad decision. Isn't that true, dads? No matter how much you want to be a good father, we're not everlasting in the sense that our continual presence can't always be there. It falls somewhat short of that, even those of us who try so hard. And as much as I want to be a great father to my kids... How often I fail at that, how much I struggle with that. I tell Katie, you know, Katie, my goal in life is to help you understand what kind of man you should marry. Hopefully by a positive example, but I know sometimes it'll be by a negative example too. I, there has been a, a couple I've done premarital counseling with in my entire experience and career as a pastor who haven't answered this question when I've said, what do you, what do you want about your parents' relationship to bring into your marriage? And what don't you want that you saw in your parents' relationship to bring in your marriage? I've never met anybody that didn't have anything in this column. There's always something that mom and dad didn't get quite right. They say, you know, I don't want to have that in my marriage. I would rather have this. And no matter how hard we try, we fall short. And I think, therefore, it's hard for us to understand that there really is a Father in heaven who doesn't fall short. There really is a Messiah who God promises who will come and who has come as we look back into this passage of Scripture who fits the bill perfectly. Jesus is always by our side. He never leaves us. He is continually present, and He has the attributes of the Father who cares for us and loves us. And we see His power and His presence most visibly on the cross. And when He paid for your sins in my sense, And you want to know, by the way, how this story ends? You want to know how it ends for those who put their trust in this Messiah, who believe in God's Christ? Here's how it ends. Look at verse seven. Verse seven goes on to say this. It does, I promise. Verse seven, I'll read it if it doesn't show up there in just a second. Verse seven of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The end of this story is there is no end to this story. You want to know how this story ends? Flip over. You don't have to. Let me just read for you a verse or two out of Revelation chapter 21, where John in his vision sees the new heavens and the new earth. And he says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. In other words, I heard the voice of God say, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. You want to know how the story ends? It doesn't. It goes on into eternity because our everlasting Father knows no bounds to his love and his grace and his mercy. I'm a big uh, Monk fan. I don't know if you've watched Monk. It's a detective show. And I like it because it's kind of a mixture of comedy and, and, and a little bit of trying to figure out who the bad guy was and how he or she was trying to get away with it. But last week was the, was the finale of Monk, not for the season, but it was the last episode they, they ever were going to air. Uh, and so I, I watched it and, and, and enjoyed it. But at the end of the show, uh, the guy who sings the, uh, the theme song sang a, a different theme song. And the theme song was, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. That was the name of the theme song. And, I, and you know what? Friday night I went to, went to watch Monk and I went, oh yeah, it's not, it's not on anymore. Kind of miss old Monk. I miss him and he's gone. That's not how the story ends for those who put their trust in God's Messiah. He's from everlasting to everlasting. You've been created for an eternal relationship with God, not 60, 70, 80, 90 years. That would be absurd. That would be the height of foolishness. You've been created to last forever. In the new heavens and the new earth. That's the Messiah that God has provided. And the last name that's given to this one is Prince of Peace a prince. He's not just royal in identity. You could, you could say that about a lot of, you know, Prince Charles or, or, or Prince Andrew. You know, there's a lot of people that we identify as prince. But this isn't just an identity of rank, but rather it speaks to his character, that this is one of noble character. This is one who is worthy of trust. And I like the fact that Isaiah put them in this order because I think he ends with the one that assures us the most. You say, you know, all these attributes sound great, but can I really trust him? And the truth is yes. Because he is a pre, he is princely in his attitude. He is noble in his character. He's not going to tell you one thing and do something else. He's not going to make a void promise that he has no intention of fulfilling. When he says, I'll never leave you and i never forsake you, he's not talking to hear himself talk. He's giving you a promise that it cost him his life to keep. And he offers to you graciously because he is the prince of what? he's the prince of peace. There's an absence in this new kingdom of brokenness and rebellion and the destruction that follows. This prince is going to be in the business of reuniting man to God, making peace with us through his cross and restoring us to a right relationship with God. I've said this to you often, but I'm going to repeat it again this morning. Peace in the scripture always starts vertical. Until you have peace with God, you have no peace. I said, what are you talking about? I don't believe in God and my life's just fine. Friend, no, it's not. It may be okay for 60, 70, 80, 90 years, but someday you've got to answer to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Someday, because you've been created to be everlasting, you will stand before his judgment seat and will give an account for your life. And at that day, the Prince of Peace... You will either have trusted him to restore you or you won't. But for those who put their faith in him, he becomes their peace. We are identified with Christ. When I stand before God, when God looks at Tom Ricks, he sees the identity of Jesus, not because I'm good, not because I'm that guy that everybody believes, you know, the pastor. He gets all these these wonderful things happen to him because he's clergy. No, not at all. I'm as rotten as everybody else, but because the grace of God covers me. I don't know what your definition is of a perfect... Christmas. I really do hope it really snows. I mean, I'm, uh, take your snow home and sprinkle it wherever you'd like to, just not on each other in this room. I hope we get six inches of snow. It'd be great to have a white Christmas. But you know, a white Christmas isn't going to bring order to this world. The snow's pristine white will fade. Eventually it'll melt. The deeper challenges will remain. But God's Messiah the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, He remains true and perfect forever. My prayer for each one of us this year is that you will have a perfect Christmas, and it will be found in your relationship, in my relationship, with God's Messiah. Will you pray with me?